Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Sound equipment. Uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, thank you guys for being patient with me as well. Well, I do want to turn this morning to Luke chapter 1 and the first four verses. If we could read uh, together, if you'd follow with me in your Bible. And, and perhaps even to say, I'd asked uh, Yaku and Sulet to do uh, a puppet presentation for the children. And I'm just looking to see where you guys are sitting. And, and I'm amazed, without me telling you what I'm going to be preaching on today, uh, I think there's a real coming together. The Spirit of God, I believe, has led you, and I do trust uh, leading me in this particular passage. So just those four, first four verses, uh, Luke writing, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So just so far, the reading of God's word again, bowing our heads as we pray. Lord, we thank you, remembering today, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. And Lord, as we come, we understand that you're a God who speaks, that communicates and has communicated to us. Lord, even as we look around in the world, we see from that which you have made, that you are majestic and powerful. But Lord, thank you this morning also for the special revelation of your word that speaks to us and reveals to us all that we need to know for life and godliness. Open our hearts, Lord, by your Spirit. Uh, work in us, we pray, and may Jesus be exalted in our midst in, as we pray this in His name. Amen. Well, to introduce the message this morning, I want to tell you three kissing stories. So, young adults, uh, listen. Three different kissing stories. The first one, once upon a time... There lived a lovely little princess by the name of Snow White. Remember that story, boys and girls? But her vain and her wicked stepmother, the queen, was really terrified. She feared that someday Snow White and her beauty would surpass that of the wicked stepmother. So after hearing that she was not the fairest in the land, remember the the incident of her looking in the mirror, asking who is the fairest in the land. The, the wicked queen deceived Snow White into eating a poisoned apple. The seven dwarfs found her, very sadly thinking that she was dead. But fortunately, fortunately to the delight of everybody, Prince Charming arrived. White horse and all the rest of it, he arrived on the scene. And as we all know, he did not delay in kissing Snow White, 
And so dislodging the apple, the poisoned apple from her throat, and they lived happily ever after. Story number one. Story number two. Now it gets closer to the bone. I grew up in a family context where we children were taught and it was enforced. We were expected to greet everybody in the family, in the circle of the family, with a kiss. On the mouth. Men and women. Some of you grew up in that context too. It was a culture. It was the culture of our family. That, that's what we did. And so I never forget, I think I was about 11 or 12 years old, uh, we stopped outside my aunt's house. My dad's sister, she lived in Parkhurst, Johannesburg, 12th Street. I remember it very clearly. Mom and dad, four children. My dad had a, battle, a battered old Holden station wagon. My mother was very much in charge. And she said to us and warned us children, reminding us, when you walk into that house, you greet everybody with a kiss. And so four children, two older sisters and younger brother, me number three, my elder sister leading the pack, walked into the lounge to do our duty. My elder sister obediently led us and gave us all the opportunity to see the shock on the vacuum cleaner sales face, salesman's face. She did not know that he wasn't family. She did not know that he was just there trying to sell a vacuum cleaner. Well, the look on his face, you can imagine, a shock, but delight. This young, 16-year-old, beautiful girl coming and kissing him on the lips. To this day, my sister is embarrassed. Story number three. I think many of you know me, so a bit of an awkward character, I think, socially anyway. Saying goodnight to Carol. Again, uh, 10 Pelion Road. You know the southern suburbs of Johannesburg? The suburb is Linmayer. And her mom and dad were a pastor and pastor's wife at our church. I was courting, I was dating their daughter. I was a slow mover. And uh, I think it took me a good three months to get to this particular evening. 10 o'clock. That was the deadline. Parents insisted that Carol was home at 10 o'clock. 1978, I even remember the year. Our first kiss. It was like heaven had come down from earth. I remember afterwards running down the driveway, skipping and jumping for joy. Anybody been there? Why these stories this morning? Each of these stories relate, convey or communicate a message of particular meaning and significance. And so the first story, did Snow White and the seven dwarves and the prince and the wicked queen actually exist? 
We, everybody knows that. Even the children among us know that that's a story. That's, that that's a fairy tale. It's not true. But it's entertaining. It, it, it's fun to read that kind of story. The incident with my sister and the vacuum cleaner salesman really did happen. And, 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 and the, the incident has become part of what we would call our family history. Sitting around joking, I remember Linda. And she might be listening to the sermon later today and she's going to be embarrassed again. She remembers part of our family history. But other than that, being part of our history, being a bit embarrassing for her, providing a good laugh for the rest of the children in the family, the incident has no consequence. It just happened. But Carol and my first kiss did have significant consequences. Shelley asked me yesterday, Dad, how old were you? I said, well, we matured. (laughs) Didn't we? She was 16. But we got married three years later, 1981. We had four children. Now I have three children-in-law. We have one grandchild, we have two grandchildren on the way. We shared married life together for 40 years. You see, it happened historically, but with consequences. And so the important consideration today, how do these stories relate to Christmas? And that's going to be the focus of this message this morning. And, and, and each story understood in varying degrees of significance with different life outcomes. That's, that's what I want to show you today. It's very important to see the way you understand Christmas affects your life in the present and will affect your life into the future, even into eternity. And so I want to begin with the first story, Snow White. Like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, in 2023, there are people, there are many people, there may be some among us here today, who consider the Christmas story of Jesus, Jesus born of a virgin, merely my first point this morning, to be a sentimental fairy tale. There are people who believe that. And I'm going to quote some people today. Some people describe Christmas and the story of Jesus, the virgin birth and his resurrection and his ascension, his life and his miracles, not to be true, but simply a myth. It's a nice story, but nothing more than that. So if Jesus never existed, or if Jesus is not who the Bible tells us who he is and what he did, you can place yourself in the ranks of someone like Thomas Jefferson, one of the first presidents of the United States of America, and I quote him. This is what he said about Jesus. He says, the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being of his father in the womb of a virgin, will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Do you get the idea? Mocking the reality, mocking the historicity, the, 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 the reality of Jesus who came and was born of a virgin. Now you say, well, that, I checked this morning something of the, uh, uh, study the academic background of Thomas Jefferson and, and he was a, a lawyer and a politician and a philosopher. So you can kind of expect that kind of thinking from such a person. 
But if we look a little bit further afield, we notice that even those who claim to be clerics, those who lead congregations and preach week by week and write theological textbooks, have similar sentiments. Very popular preacher some decades ago by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick. He was a popular pastor in New York City, gathered many, many people into a mega church. He said this, I do not believe in the virgin birth and hope none of you do too. Don't believe it. Many, many people today who, class, who classify themselves as liberal Christians simply do not believe in the miraculous. Another cleric by the name of Bishop Joseph Sprague of the United Methodist Church called the virgin birth a myth. Episcopalian Bishop John Sprong, and I quote him, he says, In time, the virgin birth account will join Adam and Eve in the story of cosmic ascension as clearly recognized elements in our faith tradition whose purpose was not to describe a literal event. Raymond Brown called it folkloric. Is that the way you understand Christmas? Is that the way you look back and say, well, it's kind of mythical. It's, it's a fairy tale. And, 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 and it has nothing to do with uh, intelligence or brain power because these men that I've quoted, and I'm sure that they're women too, they're intellectual people, they're capable people, but they reach the conclusion on the matter of the virgin birth of Jesus, refusing to believe it to be a historical fact. And so we must ask ourselves, I think today is a good opportunity, is the life and work of Jesus simply a lovely, sentimental fact? Is Christmas... Me- oh, this was fantastic this morning. Is Christmas merely a time of uh, spending money and, and going about giving gifts and, and all of us going out and having a wonderful, self-indulgent luncheon today the food will be left over for another three days? Is, is that it? Or is there something more? Which leads me to my second story. Like my sister, kissing the salesman in my aunt's lounge back in the 1970-something, I can't remember exactly which year. There are those people, and perhaps even among us here today, willing to acknowledge the truth taught about Jesus. And so my second point, they are prepared to accept the history of Jesus. So in the opening verses, and probably wondering when I'm going to go to Luke, uh, of this gospel according to Luke, he gives us a very short but valuable introduction to the task, this uh, project that he's undertaken. And I want to read the passage again. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. What do we see here? Luke, back in that particular day, a doctor... Obviously, a man of ability, led by the Spirit. We understand the work of the Spirit in uh, 
carrying these men along and directing their thoughts, but he does meticulous work. He compiles a narrative of that which had taken place over the course of his life, and he does so not from a second-hand hearsay or rumor. I remember when I started doing um, postgraduate studies, one of the lessons we were taught is to consult original sources. Those of you who have studied, you know that. Uh, you cannot always depend on somebody who has second, third, or fourth-hand opinion. And, of course, we know as we play with children, especially, I think, in youth groups, as I've done over the years, the game Broken Telephone. You know what happens? You start with the story, and five or six people down, the, the entire message has changed. And so we, we, we find here that Luke depends on original sources. He quotes those who were eyewitnesses, those who were with Jesus. These eyewitnesses hearing him teach, seeing him do miracles that he performed, witnessing, standing aside at the crucifixion, seeing him suffer, uh, seeing the darkness and, and, and those words, it is finished, engaging with him after the resurrection, spectators at the ascension when he was uh, raised up into glory. That's what Luke does. Compiles this narrative. Not only that, but he also acknowledges that he had closely followed the unfolding of these events himself. Having done so, responsible and diligent research to write an orderly account for Theophilus. And you will remember, I trust this morning, that Luke not only does this in terms of the gospel, but he also, also is the author of the book of Acts. And he says in Acts chapter 1, in the first book of Theophilus, Luke, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit uh, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering and many proofs. You, you, you get the idea? He is recording historical fact. He's relating in writing to Theophilus the life of Jesus up to his ascension, and then thereafter, as we have it, 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Why does he do this? The historical accuracy is important. And he understands that because the stated intention to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that, there's the purpose clause, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Theophilus had come to faith. He had heard the gospel story. There had been those who had taught him, uh, those who had passed on the reality of the work and life of Jesus. And Luke is writing to verify so that Theophilus can have certainty regarding Jesus. Certainty is important, isn't it? Which means that facts are important. I understand that today there still are some people who belong to the Flat Earth Society. 
But you know what? If you travel and you keep going in an eastward direction, you're eventually going to come back to the same place. So they can ignore the facts. But the reality is the earth is round. It's a globe. The gospel account, I encourage you this Christmas, is not speculative. It's not conjecture. It's an accurate record of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, I'm not done. Because while accepting the historical veracity, the truth of Jesus, it's not enough for saving faith. See, there's a temptation to say, well, it happened 2,000 years ago, and yes, I agree, but nothing more. And so in addition to accepting the history of Jesus, it is necessary to go to another step. Like my first kiss with Carol that ended up in marriage, life together, I want to show you today that the coming of Jesus is not only authentic history, but thirdly, a historic event with great significance. Very, very important that you see this third point. You see, the history and life of Jesus informs us who Jesus is, what he did. But there are consequences. There's significant consequences. I have to quote Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon on this. He says, the greatest and momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth. Today we remember the birth of Jesus. And let me add, the virgin birth of Jesus. Spurgeon, along with many others among us even here today, convinced about the recorded historicity, the fact of Jesus' life and ministry, but also the impact. Has to be the impact, the consequences. I often quote at Central, redemption accomplished 2,000 years ago. Redemption applied 2023 amongst many people here and gathered in many other places around the world. We need to be reminded, Christmas is a great time to see that the life and work of Jesus is in a certain category of history. It's a historic event. Now I want to give you a definition here. A definition of history is the study of past events, particularly in human affairs. I think all of us did a bit of history at school. It can also be defined as the whole series of past events connected with a particular person or thing. You have a history, I have a history, born in the southern suburbs of Joburg, come from a family, we have four children, mom and dad, lived at Sixula Street, Forest Hill, went to Forest Hill Primary, went to Parktown Boy. You have a history, you have a history. Listen to the definition of historic. Historic means famous or important in history having great and lasting importance. You see, the advent of Jesus is historic, not just history. His life and work has great and lasting importance to you and to me and to the rest of the world, to nations of the world. 
with regard to standing with God, relationship with God, with regard to the well-being of your soul, with regard to eternal destiny. You need to be thinking about eternal destiny. So in this historic narrative, here we have God's salvation plan unfolding. Step by step, detail after detail, the culmination of promises, starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? Let me read Genesis 3.15. Where God says to Adam and Eve, or to Eve directly, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's between the devil, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's going to be a conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of, of, of Eve. And, and, and so the unfolding of, of God's redemptive history right throughout centuries, decades, and, and eventually Luke starting his gospel with the introduction going on, the angel Gabriel preparing Zechariah regarding the birth of John to he and Elizabeth in the old age. With a reminder to them, with God nothing is impossible if it is according to the will of God. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Nothing is impossible with God. And, and he describes for us uh, something about what uh, John the Baptist will do, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Six months later, you know these things, but reminded today, God sends that angel Gabriel to convey a message to Mary, a young virgin. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now I remember an old um, uh, TV series, The A-Team. And the older people will remember The A-Team. Remember one of them, I can't remember which guy, it was a big guy, he used to say, or it was the leader, I, I love it when a plan comes together. Man, I love it when a plan comes together. After John's birth, Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, prophesied regarding the role of John. And, and listen to these words, and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, you will go before the Lord, before Jesus, to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then 
in this unfolding story, reading and seeing that God is orchestrating this to unfold according to that which was prophesied. He moves the ruler, Augustus Caesar, requiring Joseph and Mary, nobodies in the eyes of the ordinary citizen, to go from Nazareth, Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's God providentially orchestrating, working out this salvation plan. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, not Nazareth, Bethlehem of Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. Did you see the importance of this history? Jesus is born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger. Why? The beginning of a road, a pathway of humiliation that Jesus walked, taking on human flesh. And the angel appeared to the shepherds. More detail of historical significance. Uh, Luke chapter 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, now notice the historic nature of this event. That a multitude of heavenly hosts appears. Now, you know, we see these... Uh, Nativity scenes and we kind of think Snow White and no. This, this happened. This, this unusual manifestation of, of a host of angels praising God. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those whom He is pleased. And then Luke continues. I'm not going to carry it on today. 24 chapters. History. Historic event. Of the coming of Jesus. My final point, which is really my conclusion. The implication of the historic significance of Jesus. You see, folks, the issue at stake for us is our standing with God. Very, very important consideration. Life is fleeting. Uh, Our mortality is evident. If you look around yourself, you'll notice uh, I think I was reading in Psalm 90, just uh, the Psalm of Moses, uh, in terms of the shortness of life. But we have a problem. Apart from God's grace, our sin has alienated us from Him. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God. Subjection to the wrath of God. Jesus came to save people from their sin. My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Got to get that. In the words of Zechariah, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. You need God to forgive you. I need God to forgive me of my sins. And he will do so because of the tender mercy of who God is. He has provided, he has made provision. Jesus secured redemption. Jesus gave the greatest gift 
to those who will confess. And by that we mean acknowledge their need and their dependence, uh, the, the reality of the uh, frailty before God as sinners, turning to Him for salvation. Don't allow the world, philosophy, theology, sometimes liberal theology, to rob you of the blessing of the advent of Jesus. What is the Christmas story to you? Very important question to think about today. Is it merely a sentimental fairy tale similar to Snow White or maybe a myth created by some religious fanatics along the way? Are you someone who has kind of moved away from that and yes, you're willing to accept the history of Jesus, but it has no personal bearing on your life. It must have personal bearing on your life. Are you rejoicing today? Christmas is a historic event with great significance. You understand, you have a standing, a a right relationship with God, having believed the message, having believed the historic activity and intervention, receiving forgiveness, adopted into the family of God, having a destiny beyond this life in the very presence of God. You decide. Young people, your parents can't decide for you. You decide. How do you understand Christmas? Lord, thank you for your word. And just even this day, as we remember, and more than paying tribute to that which our Savior, your Son Jesus, has done, but Lord, believing with heart and soul and mind, our total dependence on this that you have achieved. Thank you that we can talk to you, that you speak to us, Lord, that your Spirit indwells us. And even as Brad reminded us earlier on in the service, Lord, the hope that you give us, the anticipation, the prospect of that which is still to come, which is better by far. Thank you for Christmas. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.